Welcome back to Tamar Radio on KDRT 95.7 FM in Davis, California. This is your host, Rohan Bakshi. Back in the 1920s, the WWJ Radio in Detroit broadcasted World Series scores. Then in 1921, KDKA in Pittsburgh broadcasted the first radio play-by-play of a Major League Baseball game between the hometown Pirates and the visiting Philadelphia Phillies, and then went on to broadcast boxing and football as well. In the 1930s and 1940s, the cost of radio technology came down, and people could afford to buy radio sets for their homes to follow sports news. The first official radio station that broadcasted sports talk, WNBC, started in 1964 in New York. Now, about 60 years later, there are about 700 FM and AM radio stations in the United States that just cover sports. Sports talk radio listenership has declined in the past couple of years. A lot of that had to do with the COVID-19 pandemic, when there were zero sports to talk about. There were also much fewer people driving to work, which is when a lot of listeners turned on their car radios. Radio listeners tend to build a routine and connect on an emotional level with radio show personalities. My morning routine during school days is to tune in to KHTK in Sacramento and listen to sports talk radio as I eat breakfast. In today's episode of Time Out Radio, we meet Carmichael Dave, host of the Carmichael Dave Show, weekdays Monday to Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. on KHTK Sacktown Sports, 1140 a.m. Dave and I talk about how he got into sports broadcasting, his thoughts on the future of sports talk radio, and how this season is going to go for the Sacramento Kings. Up next is Skyline by Khalid.
Our guest on today's episode of Time Out Radio is Carmichael Dave, host of the Carmichael Dave Show, weekdays Monday to Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. on KHTK Sacktown Sports, 1140 a.m. So, uh, Dave, welcome to the show. Your name is Dave Weiglin, but on the radio, you go by Carmichael Dave. So how did you get this nickname? Carmichael Dave came from me being a caller. I was, uh, you know, if you ever call into a radio station, it would be, uh, you know, Roland and Elk Grove or um, Bill in, in Sacramento. And uh, I was Dave and Carmichael. Uh, but eventually... If you call enough and you become familiar enough to the host, sometimes they'll flip it to like Fair Oaks Ken or Elk Grove Bill. And I became Carmichael Dave because uh, it's, it's kind of rare these days, but I was able to match up with the radio station and eventually work at the radio station in my hometown. You know, had I moved somewhere, I probably would have changed it back, but I already had a tiny bit of familiarity to the audience as a caller. And uh, I just kept it for my host duties and stuck ever since. Yeah, and you started off at KCK as a caller and ended up with your own morning show. So tell us about how you became a sports broadcaster. Well, I started out, as you noted, as a caller. And then I would call in after every Kings game with Jason Ross, who I work with today, and Steve Buzzard, when I was still in school. And then uh, I interned at KCK, and the program director, then Mike Ramey, said, hey, you can't just go from uh, intern to going on air. you got to go learn how to do radio. So I went to a rock station which no longer exists, called Quad 106.5, which was alternative rock back in the late 90s, early 2000s, probably at the heyday of alternative rock, really, especially in this town. You know, you had local bands like Cake and Zoppy and Deftone, Papa Roach, and, you know, a lot, lot of real good music coming out here. So it was a fortunate time. I worked there for about three years. My first shift was 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Christmas Eve, and then my second shift was 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. New Year's Eve. Uh, I got all all the shifts nobody wanted, but it was radio, and I got to crack the mic, and I did that for about three years. I did all the shifts there, did a lot of sleeping in my car because I would do split shifts, sleeping on friends' couches nearby, uh, and then eventually worked my way back up to KHTK. Now, the morning show came much later. I, I started out, and I did backup sports updates, again, for Jason Ross for about three years, and then... Uh, Eventually, the uh, the guy who was doing the nine to midnight show, he quit on a moment's notice to take a job in St. Louis, and uh, they asked me if I would do the night show that night. It was my first ever attempt to be on air, first ever sports show, and uh, I'll never forget it. I had a hundred and three degree fever, I had strep throat, and it was a remote broadcast at Hooters uh, during a Kings Timberwolves post game, and uh, I did it. I probably got a couple people sick, so sorry. And, in retrospect to them, uh, and did nights for six years. And then uh, I got brought up to the mornings by a guy named Don Geronimo, who's doing mornings there. He left. I took over, and uh, it's been that way since about 2013. Mm -hmm. And as part of your morning show that you host um, on KHK, I try to catch a part of your show before going heading to school every morning. So what do you think is a unique skill that has helped you become such a successful sports broadcaster? Huh. The ability to fill time when you need to fill time. The uh, the gift of gab, as they say, just the ability to talk and really do what we call vamp, you know, just to fill the blank spots. I am not a gifted broadcaster. I, I'm truly not. I, I have a slight lisp. Uh, I have kind of a nasally, droney voice. 
and I'm not a I'm not good at the things you need to be good at in radio, like PPM, which is a, a term on, on how we get ratings, and you know, doing great teases at the end of your break and uh, hitting your spots and all, all the, yeah, I'm, I'm not very good. I, I have attention deficit disorder, was on medication as a kid, ADD, and that's actually probably served me really well in radio because you have to spin so many plates at once that it's almost comforting to me when I'm doing a broadcast, I'm talking about something, my producer's in my ear telling me something while I'm looking up something and doing all these things at once, that's like my safe spot. So weirdly enough, my affliction is probably my greatest asset in this environment. And what's the topic you've covered uh, while at your time as a sports broadcaster that really sticks out? Um, probably the relocation of the Kings. You know, it's such a, a big part of what happened in the city and it was such a big part of my career too. You know, um, I would say that was, that was huge because it really went beyond sports. It was jobs. It was people's emotions. There was just so much involved in it, you know, that it went beyond the day to day. I think the King's relocation plus it went on for a guy, you know, almost five years, That that would probably be the number one story I remember. And uh, is there anyone who you looked up to before you started your sports broadcasting career that you look back now and uh, you th- you think about? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I grew up uh, idolizing the guys on, you know, first off nationally, Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh and Jim Rome. They were the three national broadcasters I had access to from listening to them in my parents' car. Uh, Don and Mike. Uh, who did the midday show at KHDK from uh, Maryland, from Washington, D.C. And I later on got to work with Don Geronimo from that show, which was a dream come true. But then locally, you know, Jason Ross, Steve Buzzard, who gave me my start, uh, those two guys. And then my, you know, my older brothers in the business were really uh, Jim Cosmore and Grant Napier. I grew up idolizing Grant, doing play-by-play for the Kings. I thought he was the best in the world. And um, he really looked out for me, uh, had my back and gave me, very sane, honest, straightforward advice early in my career, really throughout my career. Uh, and Coe's was, you know, very similar, you know, just always open to advice and willing to give me a chance to kind of stretch my wings on his show. So, I mean, there's a handful, you know, and, and that really helped me. And uh, to this day, I, I use a lot of, of their advice. And I also try to, now that I'm kind of, uh, you know, moving into the older phase, you know, realize that I, I kind of, you know, it helps me do the same thing back when, when young broadcasters are breaking in. You know, I try to do everything I can to help them. Yeah. And what advice would you have to an aspiring sports broadcaster that uh, you have the experience now, of course, and would gift someone? Don't do it. Don't do it. Seriously. Don't because it's changing. People are getting cut more and more. I will eventually get cut from my job whether it's this year or 10 years from now and i'll be a, a middle-aged guy who's been doing this for 20 plus years with very few applicable life skills and i've seen it with colleagues of mine they get cut loose and they're like fish out of water about five percent of the industry makes a livable wage and about one percent of that five percent makes a, an extremely good wage i mean millions of dollars a year it's infinitesimal everything is moving towards quick hits two three minute outs long-form journalism especially in the sports world is dying people are making cuts left and right 
the industry is not bullish overall. And some people might disagree with me, but I, I, I think they're wrong. I think in 10, 15 years, the bulk of our, our you know, you'll have your national feeds, but the bulk of everything's going to be localized, podcasting, et cetera. And again, it's very, very difficult. It's even more difficult, really, to make a living off of a podcast. Plus, you don't have the benefit of benefits, you know, medical, dental, 401k, blah, blah, blah. If somebody is dead set on going into the sports world, I would say go try to work for a team directly in their media. Or I would say do play-by-play because there will always be room for play-by-play with a sport. But if you're trying to get into talk radio and into my field, I don't think my field is going to exist as we know it in, in five to 10 years. So I would tell them to go back to school and make some money and live a comfortable life. Mm. Be a sports fan. Don't do it as a sports business. All right. Um, well, now let's move on to a little bit about the this upcoming season for the Sacramento Kings. You, of course, have covered uh, and are a big fan of the Sacramento Kings for years now. So I want to talk about this like intriguing and promising season for the Sacramento Kings. Like we just wrapped up preseason, a perfect preseason for now. Uh, just give me your quick thoughts about what you've uh, were surprised about what stuck out to you uh, in this preseason as we move now into the regular season. Well, I'll start by asking a trivia question. It's a good one. You know the last time, you know how long it's been since the Kings went undefeated in the preseason? I do not know. Yeah, it was a year ago. It was last year. They went 4-0. and Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. and a lot of people, a lot, well, some people don't remember that. Many do. And my point being is that it's preseason. Generally, in preseason, your more established teams are going to rest their guys because – you don't win any championships or preseason, whereas your your lower rung teams, those are the ones that are going to play their guys more. You've got people fighting for a job. They're going to be playing late in games. It's it's just honestly the way it is. Uh, if you look at, for example, if you were to look at the preseason standings right now, Orlando is four and one. New York is three and one. Oklahoma City who might have the worst record in the league. They're 5 and 1. Uh Houston is 3 and 1. These are all almost certainly uh with maybe the exception of New York going to be tanking non-playoff teams. The first thing I would do would be to caution everyone. We've been here before. Last year they went 4 and 0 in the preseason and they went undefeated in summer league and won the summer league championship in Vegas and it was a bad year. They won what 32 games. So that's my caution. I would say this. I think this is the most talented team that's been here for a while. I think it's definitely the most talented team since we got De'Aaron Fox. I think it's a very deep team. We don't necessarily have any superstars, but if Fox or Sabonis could break through this year, Sabonis already was kind of like a borderline star before, two-time All-Star. And, you know, a lot of our guys, you know, the Herders, the Monks, Davion taking a leap, Keegan Murray being in the rookie of the year conversation, Terrence Davis having a good solid year, Rashawn Holmes bouncing back. There's a lot of ifs and buts. So I would say I'm impressed by their defense in the preseason. I think that can carry over to a point. So I'm cautiously optimistic about this upcoming season, but I'm, I'm not over the top yet. I need to see it in action. Yeah, and let's talk about that defense. I mean, uh, in the offseason, they go and they hire Mike Brown, from who was assistant at the Warriors, to be their head coach. And he's a very defensive-minded type of coach. And 
I know it's preseason, like you mentioned, and like we've been here before, but there's something very promising about this defense as well. I mean, while the preseason stats show that they're like a top defensive team, where do you realistically think this defense from one of the worst in the last couple of years, how much will they improve now? Well, I would say this in the preseason, they gave up an average of 89.8 points in four games. And the next closest to them was 100.8, but that was Oklahoma city. You got to remember it's preseason, but I think there are some principles that Mike Brown is installing that are really being listened to. Now, can they take that into the regular season and play some good team defense? I think so. Here's the problem. There's no lockdown defenders on this team. I mean, Davion Mitchell at point guard, I, I should correct myself, is, is a promising young defender. Keegan Murray's defensive metrics look pretty decent. But Kevin Herter's not a defender. Fox isn't a defender. Sabonis isn't a defender. Harrison Barnes, you know, you're all you're talking all metrically about average to below average defenders for their career. So it's gonna have to be a team defense. But I would say this in 2002, you know, which is the team everybody points to as the gold standard in the city, that team led the league in opposition field goal percentage. It was probably the best defensive team we've had dang near ever in Sacramento. And this was a team that had Mike Bibby, Vlade Divac, Peja Stojakovic, and Chris Weber, who were all average to way below average defenders. They had Doug Christie, who was fantastic defensively as the anchor. But everybody else there was a, a part of subpar defender. What it was is it was communication, effort, attitude, and maybe that's something they can do again this year. Yeah, and um, along the lines of defense, um, as well as this being a show from Davis, I want to touch on uh, the local guy from UC Davis, Chima Maneki. I mean, I, I was a huge fan of him. I watched uh, like a lot of his college games. Uh, and while I had my doubts of how his pro career would be going, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when he got a training camp invite. And to see how well he did this preseason, he wasn't, you know, an offensive machine, you know, going off or scoring. He It was his defense that uh, at college he wasn't really known for. And, you know, last night against the Lakers, he locked down LeBron. Just tell me a little bit about your insight on Chima. And now that uh, it's official, he's locked down a spot on the team. Uh, what he brings to this team. I think Chima... It, what he brings to this team more than anything, and this is not a disrespect to his ability, he's an NBA player. I mean, he's officially an NBA player, which means he's in the top 1% of the 1% on planet Earth. But he's barely on the roster, and the reason he made the roster, I think more than anything, other than his talent, is his hunger and his ability to be coached. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need people like that right now. Uh, Mike Brown is going to need people like that that are coachable and that have an innate talent and the ability to be molded. It's the old coaching philosophy. If you have two guys, I'm going to switch sports here. If you have two guys running the first base and you're timing them and one guy has like this beautiful form, he looks like a, I mean, he looks like a Olympic sprinter and the other guy like, you know, looks like me running, just falling all over the place, just absolutely no form whatsoever. And they get to the base at the same time. They get to first base at the same time. 
which guy would you want on your team? If they both arrived at first base at the same time, you want the guy with terrible form because what happens when you improve that form? If he can do that, Mm, if he can get there that quickly with horrible form, what happens when he gets coached? What happens when he gets in the right environment? How much faster is he going to be? Now, I'm certainly not saying Chima has terrible form. I'm, I'm, I'm not disrespecting him in any way. What I'm saying is, is that I think what Coach Brown sees in him is the ability to mold him to, to that there is something there, that there is a piece of clay there that can be molded, and obviously some base talents that they're very, very excited about for good reason. He's obviously going to have the hometown fans behind him, so he's just got to break into that rotation at some point and uh, not force it, let the game come to him, and uh, he'll uh, he'll be in good shape. Yeah, and my last one before I let you go, obviously preseason's over, so now it's time to look ahead to the regular season. Wednesday night, they face the Blazers at home for the first time, seems like they're in a while they're opening the season at home. Uh, just... Tell me realistically, what is this team going to look like, you know, in terms of playoffs, play in? What do you think this team's identity and where do you think their their season is going to go? I think this is going to be a very good scoring team. I think you've got Fox and Sabonis who are all over the place, and then you surrounded them with shooters. Monty McNair's done a very good job building this team around both of those guys. He's had a vision for this, and that's it, and this is his vision. I think, you know, obviously you always have to be careful with the injury bug, but I think this is the year that they will at least get into the play-in for a number of reasons. Number one, I think they'll win a few more. I think we'll be in the... High 30s, you know, 37 to, I would say 37 to 43 is the range, low and high end. And I think that combined with the fact that you have the best prospects since LeBron James coming out next year and Victor Wembanyama, and combined with teams like San Antonio, Utah, Oklahoma City, Houston, you know, those are four teams right there in the Western Conference that are absolutely going to be tanking and heading towards the bottom. So that really means that in order to just get to the play-in, they've got to finish ahead of either the Lakers or the Blazers. I don't discount the Blazers as much as a lot of other people. They lost C.J. McCollum, but they also, Anthony Simons, I think is a wonderful player who's going to break out this year. Dame Lillard is back. They got uh, Jeremy Grant. Uh, if Yusef Nurkic can be healthy, which is a big if. I think the the Blazers and the Kings are going to it's going to come down to those two teams provided there's not some you know crazy injuries above them you know Luka god forbid goes down or something like that um but assuming that's not the case I think it'll be between them and the Blazers for that that 10th play in spot and and I think ultimately if I had to bet I'd say the Kings will get in there all right. Well, thank you so much, um, Dave, for joining me on Timeout Radio today. It was great to talk to you. Um, hopefully, have you on maybe All Star Break end of the season, and we can reflect on whether it's been a you know very good season or not so much. So, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, my man. Always, always uh, here. I appreciate it. Well done, and uh, keep uh, keep studying and go uh, go make some uh, go make some good money. Don't don't struggle like <laughs> us, man. You got a big future ahead of you. Keep at it, my man. Well, I really appreciate that. It's Carmichael Dave, host of the Carmichael Dave Show on Sacktown Sports, 1140 a.m.
and that was Useless by Omar Apollo. This is Time Out Radio's 58th episode, and we've been on the air for about two and a half years. If you would like to suggest ideas for topics that you would like us to cover, or guess who you would like to hear from on the show, drop us a line on Instagram at timeout.radio. All right, let's call a timeout for Timeout Radio. This was your host, Rohan Bakshi. You're listening to Cater 95.7 FM, where the grassroots grow. Have a great day, everyone.